Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. everyone and welcome in to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. This is our Match Day 5 recap episode with me, Ewan McTeer, as your host. And as always, we're rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. We didn't have too many goals in this match day, just 17 goals across the 10 fixtures that were played in La Liga. That's mostly because of a lot of great goalkeeping, but we do still have so many storylines and so much to talk about. Coming up later in the episode, we'll be discussing Joaquin defying the natural aging process, Barcelona and Sevilla's 1-1 draw, and Real Madrid's win away at Levante. Well, sort of away at Levante. We'll explain later. But first, we're going to start with one of the goalless draws because I find this so interesting. Last weekend, Atletico Madrid thrashed Granada 6-1 and we were all going crazy about the potential they had with Luis Suarez up front now. Since then, they've drawn 0-0 away at Huesca and 0-0 at home to Villarreal. So what happened? To find out, let's bring in Jeremy Barron of the Into the Calderon Atletico Madrid blog on SB Nation. Jeremy, just simply, how disappointing have these last two performances and results been after the high of the 6-1 Granada win? These past two results for Atletico against Huesca and Villarreal have been disheartening, dispiriting, downright unsightly at times, but also not entirely surprising. If you've paid attention to this team over the past two or three plus years and saw its goals for tally sink to 51 last season, there was this euphoria after the Granada game to where, you know, listen, Luis Suarez is in this team now. Joao Felix is taking that next step. The bench has depth and versatility. Could this be the year? that Simeone is at Letty finally challenge for La Liga again. And we've come back down to earth following these two goalless draws. Atletico have now gone three hours of game time without scoring a goal. I will say, though, that Michel's game plan and his players' execution of that game plan midweek were brilliant. Huesca absolutely deserved a draw against a slightly unlucky Atletico at El Alcoraz. The Villarreal game was different, though. This was in Madrid. Unai Emery's defense not nearly as strong as Huesca's on Wednesday. There was space on offer in the second half, but Atletico's only shot on target came from the left back. And some sources didn't even credit Atletico with a shot on target. Just factually speaking, that will not get it done. 
these are the good and bad aspects of Chalismo. You have to take both. There is no one or the other. There will be performances like the one against Granada, where Atletico play with aggressiveness, ruthlessness, display, counterattacking, flair, and style. And then there are performances like these. Yeah, it's a problem. That zero shots on target stat is pretty shocking. As you mentioned, there was a sort of shot from Renan Lodi, but really it was more of a cross, and that's why most stat sites didn't even register it as a shot. So that means that this is the first match since the 3-0 loss to Juventus in Turin in the last 16 of the 2018-19 Champions League. That Remember, that Cristiano Ronaldo hat-trick night is the first time since then that Letty haven't registered a shot on target. It's almost like they're going backwards. At the same stage of last season, I remember an interview with Saul where he said that Atletico need to start going for games from minute one rather than panicking and rushing for a goal at the end. Why can't they change this? This is one of the stranger, more curious questions surrounding Simeone's Atletico now. Why can't this team start on time? Why so many slow starts? I kept a running tally last season of how often Atletico scored in the opening 20 minutes. It took me until Christmas time to stop this running tally because it just didn't happen. Saul did complain about it last year. Jean Oblak talked about it as well following Saturday's game. So you have two of the team's four captains expressing their displeasure with these slow starts. What I think it boils down to is Cholo's conservatism and stubbornness. He has this idea that he needs to save his horses, namely Carrasco, Llorente, Vitolo to a degree, for the later stages of the game, 60th minute, 65th, 70th minute, around there, to where he can throw on fresh legs against tired legs and get a goal or two late and let he get out of there with the three points. That just statistically is a strategy that does not have a high rate of success. It's the draws that killed Atleti's title chances last season. Will it be the same again this year? It already looks like these draws are hurting Atleti's title chances. 16 of them last year, 20 of the past 44 league games have ended in a stalemate for Los Colchoneros. Despite only losing four times in the league last season, Atleti finished 17 points behind champions Real Madrid. Not very good. So Cholo needs to figure out what's going on here and needs to figure out how to get the ball to his his dangerous players, his direct players, rather than seeing the ball just kind of die in midfield. And over the international break, that's got to be a priority because not only do you have Celta coming out of this break, but you have Bayern Munich in the Champions League just three days later. And Atletico cannot afford to lose any more ground in what looks like could be a pretty tight title race. If we look back to that title race that Atleti won in 2013-14, I have a theory that they won the league then because they weren't seen as a big team by opponents and that left space to attack. But now everyone sits deep against Atleti because they're a big team now. The reputation anyway. Stefan Savage even complained about this after this game, saying that Villarreal sat so deep. How can Atleti solve this when they face teams who play like this? Opponents' jobs are made easier against Atletico, not only because they can sit back and just soak up pressure from a team that struggles to consistently find space, it's made easier by the coach's stubbornness. One of Yannick Carrasco or Marco Charente has to be on the pitch at all times. Those two are Atletico's most direct players, two of the team's fastest players, if not the two fastest players. 
Neither of them started against Villarreal, and by the time they came on 20 minutes from time, it was too late. That's how Atletico can solve this. That's one of the ways Atletico can solve this. Joao Felix and Luis Suarez have to get the ball in advantageous positions. Luis Suarez, what have you made of him so far from the high of his first game to the lows of the last two? I don't think Luisito is fully fit. I mean, we've known that for some time following his knee surgery uh, earlier this year, but I don't think he's up to game speed yet. He was left out of all of Barcelona's preseason friendlies. He was dropped into the game against Granada, probably just running on adrenaline. And over the course of this first week in which Atleti played three games, he featured in all of them, starting the final two against West Coast Villarreal, he just doesn't quite look like he's at the races yet. He's not getting the ball in very advantageous positions where he can create or score. And he's he's not moving great. But I don't think this will be a season-long thing. I mean, I hope not. And Atleti hope that that's not the case as well because they need Suarez's goals. They need goals from somewhere regardless. But Luis Suarez has made his career out of being El Pistolero, this lethal game-changing striker and he has to maintain this a level of fitness and I think the more he plays and the more he kind of shrugs off this rust of not having really gotten much of a fair shake over his final couple months at Barcelona the more he can shake off this rust and get used to the tactics uh, the better I think he will be and the better I think Atletico will be served. So thanks to Jeremy for the insight there on this strange week in Atleti world. We're going to finish part one by looking at a game that did have goals. Not only goals, but other drama too. This is Real Valladolid versus Ibar, which finished 2-1 to the wayside. And this is our sore throat game of the week. This is a segment we're doing this season where we look at a fixture that perhaps went under the radar that was actually packed with excitement and that was narrated by eccentric commentators. So, to bring you the best commentary clips from Eibar's game against Real Sociedad, here's Sam Leverage. Neither Eibar nor Real Valladolid had won a game yet this season, so the pressure was on both teams at the Estadio José Zorilla when they met on Saturday lunchtime. And it was Eibar who broke the deadlock. It was a nothing play, nothing. Nobody really appealed for it, but there was a handball and VAR spotted it. The game was pulled back and... It was Esteban Burgos who stepped up. Edu Exposito missed a penalty in midweek, and so it was the centre back Burgos who stepped up to take the penalty. Iba a golpear la cara, penalty. pero es penalti, claro. Penalti a favor de Leibar. Parado para el golpeo, Roberto Jiménez bajo palos. La oportunidad para que Leibar se adelante en el marcador en este minuto 29 de juego. Allá va Esteban Burgos, toma mucha carrera, la pega fuerte. Gol de Leibar. No se lo pensó, vaya. Zapatazo que soltó a la escuadra. Luego así se tira un penalti. No tuvo ninguna opción Roberto Jiménez. Marca Esteban Burgos. Marca el Eibar de penalti. 29 de juego. Primera mitad en Zorrilla. Valladolid 0. Eibar 1. Se adelanta el Eibar en Zorrilla. Celebramos. As we heard there from Carousel Deportivo. Zapatazo. A real hard kick with plenty of power behind his penalty. And as they say, Roberto didn't have a chance in goal for Real Valladolid. But they did bounce back, and it was another fine goal. This time it was Tony Villa, with a goal similar to his namesake, David Villa, almost with the kind of finish that he added on. 
And Coppe would go and say what a beautiful goal it was. Venga con el traje. Gol! Qué bonito ha sido. And it didn't stop there for Real Valladolid, and they had another chance to take the lead as it was in out Mendiaren, the young Ibar debutante who conceded a penalty, leaving his foot in and conceding a sloppy penalty. And then it was up to Valladolid's goal scorer in chief, Sergi Guardiola, who stepped up to the penalty spot to face Marko Dimitrovic on his 100th appearance for Ibar in La Liga. And Guardiola has it saved by Dimitrovic. The follow-up goes out for a corner, and Dimitrovic does it again. Some of the sharpest reflexes in La Liga Santander. He reads the penalty well, keeps one foot on the line. It's all legal from him. It wasn't a bad penalty. And as La Liga TV say there, there was nothing wrong with Guardiola's penalty. It wasn't a bad penalty at all, but a brilliant save from Dimitrovic. And that was what kept Ibar in the game. They kept competing, they kept fighting, but there was just a little bit too much fight from Pape Diop, the man who's already been sent off once this season and he saw red for a second time. Roja en el estadio José Zorrilla a Diop, roja directa en un primer momento. Había sorprendido mucho, sorprendió a todos los jugadores, lo ha tenido clarísimo el colegiado, se duele y mucho jugador del Real Valladolid, se queda con uno menos el Eibar en el centro del campo. As Aurelio Marcus say there, the players were shocked. Papi Diop himself dropped to the floor. He was so surprised to see the red card come out from the referee. But on the replays, it was clearly a red card offence. It wasn't a dirty challenge, but he did go in over the top with his studs dragging down the leg of the Real Valladolid player. And it was quite easy to see why it was a straight red card. That's three games from Diop this season, and he's seen red in two of them and a yellow card in the other appearance that he's made. So not a great start for him. But Ibar didn't give up there, and then they kept pushing, and in the end, they did get their winner. As Coppe say there, Kevin Rodriguez, the goal scorer, he's not the tallest, he's not the biggest, but he was the cleverest. Measuring just five foot six, he popped up at the far post and nodded in to make it three points for Ibar right in the very death of the game, deep into injury time, and Ibar picked up their first victory of the season, one which will be a huge boost for them and leaves Real Valladolid fans quite worried about the future. Thanks, Sam, for that. That really was a fun match. It almost felt like a cup tie because both those teams really wanted that first win of the season. And in the end, it was Ibar who got it. We're going to take a short break now. When we come back, it's time to talk Barcelona 1, Sevilla 1. That's coming up after this short pause. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello everyone and welcome back into this La Liga Lowdown podcast where we're going through the major storylines of Match Day 5. The big fixture of the match day was Barcelona versus Sevilla and it did not disappoint. Two goals inside the opening 10 minutes as Luke de Jong made up for all of the misses he had in this fixture last season and then a rare Jesus Navas mistake set up Philip Coutinho for an equaliser. There were no more goals but there were chances at both ends in what was a back and forth game. For Sevilla, this was a real sort of coming-of-age performance, in my view at least. We know that Sevilla are taking steps forward, but they really struggle when going away to the traditional big boys, especially Barcelona. They'd lost 10 in a row at Camp Nou before this weekend's draw, but they take a point this time. So let's bring in our man in Seville, our Sevilla correspondent, Gregor Chappelle. Gregor, what do you think is the significance of this result for Sevilla in proving that they're not the same old Sevilla, in proving that... They really can mix it up with the big boys. Oh, it's huge. I mean, when a run like that goes on for so long, for a team it becomes a real psychological problem for them. Everyone is expecting them to lose. They're maybe subconsciously thinking the same thing. And I think that was their first point at the camp now since 2011, which is incredible. And should give them a huge confidence boost going into the rest of the season. I think Sevilla teams in the past would almost be a bit scared going to the camp now, but this shows just how mature and confident this team is. Part of the reason they've lost so many times against Barcelona is that Messi had 37 goals from 39 games against Sevilla. There's no team he's scored more often against, but in this game, he had just a couple of shots. What did Sevilla do to keep him quiet? I mean, that's a ridiculous stat, isn't it? I mean, seeing something like that really doesn't fill you with confidence going into a game but this Sevilla side like I said before really don't seem to fear anyone they were dogged organised they pressed Barcelona all over the pitch I really, I think they really managed to nullify Messi through just sheer determination and work rate Koundé in particular was huge for me he really did his job well the whole team just worked so hard for Lopetegui you can see they want to work hard for him and it also shows that Lopetegui knows how to set up against the better teams in the league which will really, really stand them in good stead for the rest of the year. 
Speaking about how Sevilla set up, they went through different phases in this game, didn't they? There was a point when they were in the ascendancy, right at the end, they were forced back, but they always seemed quite comfortable. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, kind of backs against the wall at the end, um, but we've seen this on many occasions from this team, and you never really feel, well, I don't, I never really feel too worried watching them in those kind of positions. I have this like, confidence in them now, and I also think they have this confidence in themselves that they can either hold on in a match or grind out a result when they're up against it. We saw it several times in the latter stages of the Europa League last year and we saw it again. They seem to fancy themselves against anyone and they never panic when they're under pressure. Lopetegui seems to have them so well drilled and organised defensively to cope with teams when they're on the back foot. Lopetegui, we should point out, was suspended for this one. How much fun did you have, Gregor, with all the camera cuts to him sitting in the stands? God, I don't know. I mean, he cut a lonely figure up in that stand. Um, but every time I looked at him, he just looked stressed out. Every time the camera panned to him, he looked worried about something. I mean, it must be frustrating for him, especially I mean, to not be able to be down there with the team, especially in a game like this. Uh, it must be stressful. You just want to be down there and doing your job like you normally do. And I'd say being stuck up in the stand did add to stress levels a little bit, the poor guy. Now, a few weeks ago, before the start of the season, we had our season preview podcast and we all sort of agreed that Sevilla weren't quite title challengers yet. Do you still think that way? Well, do you know something? After tonight, I'm going to put my neck on the line and I'm going to say that Sevilla can challenge Barcelona for that second spot. I tipped them before the season started to finish third behind Barca, but having seen the real lack of options off the bench for Barcelona, I'm not convinced that their squad is strong enough. Uh, Sevilla as well have now proven that they can pick up points at the camp now. That's something they've not done for a long, 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 long time. It would suggest to me that Lopetegui, now in his second season, really has this team playing the way he wants and has them playing for him. They look like they really want to play for him and win for him. It might be early on to say this, but I've been very encouraged by their performances. They look confident and that they believe that they could beat anyone and definitely, in my opinion, have that character and the mentality to do so. It's, and also, in a season where both Real Madrid and Barcelona have both been hindered financially by the pandemic and haven't been able to make a lot of signings this summer and Sevilla have managed to hold on to like their best players probably because a lot of clubs can't afford to pay for them at the moment. And they've also found the best form they've had in years. Who knows what might happen? Thanks, Gregor. One more point to make about this game is that it was a very special one for fans in the USA. For the first time ever, a US men's national team player has played in a competitive match for Barcelona. They just signed Dutch-American right-back Serginho Dest from Ajax in midweek, and he came on in this one for an injured Jordi Alba in the 75th minute. That meant he actually had to play at left-back. Anyway, it's a historic moment for US football fans and here's what Dest had to say afterwards as he shared a brief message on social media. Hi guys, what's up? Um, I'm very happy to make my debut today, but uh, unfortunately we didn't win. We took a tie, so uh, heads up to the next game. We have to win against Getafe. It's now time to move on to Levante versus Real Madrid, the match that the champions won 2-0 with an early Vinicius goal and a very late stoppage time carrying Benzema goal. In between, 
we once again had a lot of saves from Thibaut Courtois. He's made 13 already this La Liga season. Now, this was a Levante home match, but it didn't take place at the Estadio Ciudad de Valencia. Instead, it was at Villarreal's Estadio de la Ceramica. Let's bring in our man in the Valencian community now. That's Paco Pollitt. First of all, Paco, before we get into this game, can you explain to us why it was held at La Ceramica? There's actually an easy explanation. Levante's ground wasn't ready yet to hold the game. Works in Estadio Ciudad de Valencia were taking place this summer, but the pandemic actually pushed back the date around one month, one and a half months, so the new stadium roof didn't make it in time. Levante asked Villarreal if they could kindly lend them their ground to play against Real Madrid. Villarreal agreed, and that's why we saw such a weird game taking place in Estadio La Cerámica. By the way, Levante will be back at their home ground against Celta in the last days of October. Moving on to the game, Real Madrid started really well and scored that goal through Vinicius. We often criticise him for his finishing, but we can't criticise that one. It was an excellent finish, but in my view, it happened because he had plenty of time to execute his move. I think uh, Vinicius struggles when finishing because he often tries to do it at 100 miles per hour after dribbling a couple of defenders and in uncomfortable positions to finish. This time though, the ball got to him inside the box, no defenders surrounding him and he had time to tame the ball, set it on the perfect spot and curl it past Aitor Fernandez. We should remember that we're talking about a 20-year-old kid and that those finishes will eventually become more and more clinical the older and more experienced he gets. Levante, after their slow start, really got into the game and created several chances to equalise. What did Paco Lopez change tactically in order to get Levante dominating like we did? Well, in the second half, we really saw what Paco López can add to his team from the dugout. He subbed on Melero and Jorge de Frutos. He liberated both Campaña and Ennis Vardy from their tactical restraints. And Levante amassed chance after chance to level the game. The score, by the way, in my view, is incredibly unfair for them, as the Granotas displayed enough bravery and football to at least get the equaliser. Campaña is an obvious highlight of the team. He once again had a notorious performance and he will actually be with the Spanish national team in the upcoming days, the first time he's been called by Luis Enrique. It was Courtois who saved Real Madrid once again. Just how good has he been in 2020? To be fair, I can't really assess how good he's been in this year because the season was cut short by COVID-19 and I actually haven't seen every single Real Madrid game in 2020. But I can say how he's looking this season because I actually have seen all Real Madrid's four games and he's one of the team's fundamental players, much more than he used to be. Again, this can be read in both ways. It's bad news for Real Madrid that opposite teams have clear chances Absolutely yes, but it's excellent news for them that their keeper is in monster form at this point. Against Levante, Courtois was the main reason the team snuck away with the three points in their bag. His saves, especially on the second half, were perfect, just pure elite goalkeeper 101. So the bottom line, 2020 has been awful to many people, but in Courtois' case, his form right now is incredible. Yeah, like I said before, 13 saves already for Courtois, only two goalkeepers in La Liga, uh, Valencia's Jaume Dominic and Ibar's Marco Dimitrovic 
have had more. Let's finish up, Paco, with a final word on Levante. They've won one game against Osasuna and then lost to Valencia, Sevilla and Real Madrid. But there really hasn't been an easy fixture list for Levante so far, so surely there isn't reason to be worried even though they've only got three points. I think we should take a look a bit further and analyze Levante's performance in those games. For example, against Valencia, they were far better in the first half and then the team crashed and burned after the break. Against Osasuna, for example, they played a wonderful game and won very, very easily. They troubled Sevilla for 90 minutes and only lost to them in the injury time. And we have already said their game against Real Madrid was pretty good. So, I think their current state isn't that bad. But yeah, I think they need to pick up points after La Liga is back if they want to have a peaceful season this year. Okay, so Real Madrid are top with 10 points from 4 games. Just behind them on 9 points from 5 games are Real Betis. After losses to Real Madrid and to Atafi, Betis bounced back with a 2-0 win away at Valencia. This match was all about Joaquin. He didn't score, but he was fantastic. Honestly, unbelievable. He turned 39 in the summer, but he doesn't look it. He was the man who set up both of Real Betis' goals in this one. It's just a real shame that there were no fans in this game because I imagine the fans of his former club, Valencia, they would have given him an ovation when he was subbed off, even if those goals were against their team. Another player working magic against his former club was Facundo Roncaglia in the Osasuna versus Celta Vigo game. His strike from distance was one of the goals of the weekend, if not the goal of the weekend. He didn't celebrate, but Osasuna did celebrate a 2-0 victory over Celta with new arrival Jonathan Cagliari getting the other one. This was their first win since the reopening of El Sadar, their beautiful looking stadium. Another recently developed stadium is the Reale Arena in San Sebastian, the home of Real Sociedad, but it hasn't been a happy home for a while for La Real. Well, at least until this weekend. They only won one of their six matches there after the coronavirus pause and that was against an awful Espanyol side. Then they'd failed to win in their first two home games of the new campaign, but they finally got things going in front of their empty blue stands, beating Hitafi 3-0. It's now time to get the lowdown from Vitoria, the capital city of the Basque country and the home to Deportivo Alaves. This was an Alaves side that was struggling before this weekend with just one point from four games, but they picked up their first win of the season at home to Basque rivals Athletic Club this weekend. Rob Hextall is our man in Vitoria and he sent in this report following Alaves's much needed win. Football fans in Pretoria let out a huge collective sigh of relief this afternoon as Alaves chalked up their first win of the season to give them four points overall at home in Menetorota. And as it was against Athletic Club de Bilbao, I'm sure most were absolutely beaming under their masks. However, they might have been a bit disappointed to not have been at the ground, of course, to have seen Ellie's 74th minute headed winner that came from a Lucas Perez free kick. As everyone knows, Alaves president Josian Carajeta is not the most patient of presidents and if Pablo Machin's team had still been with just a single point rooted to the bottom of the table after five games going into the international break, who knows who might have been on the bench when the competition resumed. As it is, Machin has earned the right to keep on building this still incomplete squad 
The coach has been forced to make tactical changes in the first five games, and understandably so, he hasn't been given all the players he needs for his famously preferred 3-5-2 system, and has been forced into a 4-4-2 system in an attempt to get points on the board. Against Athletic, it was a 4-4-2 while defending that morphed into a 3-5-2 in attack, with Duarte pushing up wide. The team now has a little breathing space, and importantly, some time to get Machin's systems really nailed down. Today's clean sheet was a good sign, and those beaming fans will be keeping their fingers crossed that they'll be seeing more of the dynamic football that they saw in the second half when Lucas Perez came on. More of that, please. So, there's two matches we haven't yet discussed in this week's episode. One of them was another derby, this time an Andalusian derby between Cadiz and Granada. It finished 1-1, but both sides will feel they could have won it. Granada, because... They had various chances and because Jeremias Ledesma made some terrific stops for Cadiz. But the home side will feel they could have won it too because Dimitri Fulkier completely took out Alberto Perea in the penalty area. Amazingly, nothing was given. I really don't know why. So, spoil shared there in Cadiz. Now, we started this episode by discussing one of the goalless draws, so let's finish it with the other. That was between the newly promoted sides Elche and Huesca. Basically, Huesca attacked... Elche didn't, and Elche held on. It was 18 total shots for Huesca in this one, four of them on target, and two total shots for Elche, none on target. But no win for Huesca. They're the only newly promoted side yet to win since returning to La Liga, but weirdly, to me at least, they've looked the best, the most convincing of the newcomers so far. So, very weird, but that's football. We've now got an international break coming up, so it will be a couple of weeks before our next match day recap, but we'll be busy over on Twitter, at La Liga Lowdown is the handle if you're not following already. We'll be covering the end of the transfer window, the international games and much more there. We'll also be busy on LaLigaLowdown.com with written content like Matt Clark's piece on what makes Granada tick or Alan Feely's profile of Sergio Canales. For now, I've been your host, Ewan McTeer, and I thank Jeremy Barron, Sam Leverage, Gregor Chappell, Paco Pollitt, and Rob Hextall for their contributions to this episode. Thanks for listening, and remember, if you like this podcast, why not tell a friend about us? We would appreciate it. For now, thanks a lot. We'll be back before you know it. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.